Hey, this is Amy, and this is kind of a long extra. It actually was very close to being in one of the episodes of the show. It's um, it's basically the story of our journey out of Africa until we crossed over into the Americas and how bison relate to that story. And um, I love this kind of stuff. Someday, if I have a whole nother career, I might become an archaeologist or anthropologist or um, evolutionary biologist or something, because I just think this kind of stuff is fascinating. And so I just kind of went nuts writing it, rewriting it, adding music, adding sound, redrafting the script, (laughs) just went on and on and on. But then whenever I've tried to fit it into an actual episode of the series, it just, it just took up too much space. You know, the heart of the narrative is kind of what is the future of bison? And this is a pretty deep dive into the past. I do think it's relevant to the future because I think when we get a sense of how long and deep uh, the relationship has been with bison, it might impact how we think about them in the future. But I don't know, <laughs> we just couldn't. We just couldn't make it fit in an episode. So I hope you enjoy it. I had a lot of fun making it. Um, Here we go. Let's Let's go go back. back. Way back. It's 150,000 years ago, and you live in Africa. You're an early member of the species Homo sapiens. Anatomically, you're no different than the humans alive today. And you, my friend, are extremely adventurous because you and your community get this crazy idea to start walking north. Away from your home, away from everything you've ever known, we don't know why. We do know there have been a few other limited forays out of Africa by earlier types of hominids, but you're the first of the Homo sapiens, the first member of our own species, to make the journey. They show up in the Levant. There are a number of sites in, in Israel. That's John Hoffaker. I'm a fellow at the Institute of Arctic and Alpine Research at the University of Colorado Boulder, and my field is archaeology and more generally paleoanthropology. So let's define a few terms here quickly. Paleoanthropology is essentially human evolution, and the Levant, which John just mentioned, is kind of like the Eastern Mediterranean. Think Syria, Israel, Lebanon, Jordan. That's where you're hanging out for a while. A good long while, about 30,000 years actually, and you're not the only thing walking around on two legs at that time. You've got company. Neanderthals. Homo neanderthalensis. You've come up to the Levant from the south, Neanderthals have come down from the north. And even though they're different from you in some ways, they aren't different enough to stop you from getting busy. Exciting and new. Yeah, don't even try to deny it. We know you found those Neanderthals pretty sexy. The proof is in your genes. That's G-E-N-E-S, not the other kind. We know that everybody outside Africa, I mean, this is everyone, carries a small percentage of Neanderthal genes. Homo sapiens likely mated with Neanderthals at a couple of different historical moments, but this was probably the first one. So anyway, there you are, hanging out by the Mediterranean, sipping Mai Tais, flirting with Neanderthals for 30,000 years or so, but then you leave. For unknown reasons, after this first excursion out of Africa, you turn around and walk home. Why? 
Maybe your Neanderthal lover broke your heart and you went home to lick your wounds. Who knows? In any case, you stay in Africa again for 10 or 15,000 years until you feel that urge to explore again. Or maybe you just get really hungry. But in any case, what happens is... What happens is that at some point after 75,000 years ago, our immediate ancestors, people who are ancestral to the lineages that are uh, distributed across the earth today, expanded out of Africa again. And this time, the expansion was extremely successful and very rapid. You and your friends and family head north again, but this time you really go for it. Part of the group sticks to the coastline and splits for the east. They move very quickly along the coast, along the southern edge of the Arabian Peninsula, onto the Indian subcontinental coast, and then eventually into Southeast Asia. We know they're in Australia by about 50,000 years ago. So that's what part of your group does, but you take a different route. Uh, there's some genetic evidence that people were going north at the same time. You go up through the Levant, like you did in that first excursion out of Africa, but you don't stop there this time. You go on through Turkey, over the Balkan or the Caucasus Mountains, and then you see it. This hairy, horned creature with a big hump on its back. It's your first encounter with a bison. Of course, they, they, they met a bison, and very quickly, they, they were one of the, of the biggest game, you know, in a, a distant period, in, a, in the steppe, and the tundra. This is, well, I'll let him do the introductions. My name is uh, Jean-Philippe Bruegel. This is a uh, French pronunciation. John, John Philippe Bruegel. <laughs> well, I like the French anyway. pronunciation better. <laughs> Okay. Jean-Philippe is a paleontologist. I reached him via Skype in Kenya where he was doing field work. And he says that as you explored Europe, you found bison everywhere. Uh, in France, in Germany, in Poland, in Ukraine, you know, steppe bison. These were steppe bison. That's steppe like grassland, not like stepsister. Your old friends the Neanderthals had been hunting them for tens of thousands of years. And you quickly started to hunt them too as you moved from the Middle East, throughout all of Europe, and into Russia. So where did all these bison come from? Well, Jean-Philippe says bison can be traced back to early bovines in India and China about three or four million years ago. Those animals moved north. And then the steppe bison were probably evolved in Siberia. From Siberia, the steppe bison spread out in all directions. They traveled west all the way to France and east over the Bering Land Bridge into the Americas, where they later evolved into the bison we still have today. But you're not even close to that land bridge yet. You're still in Europe. And you're so fascinated with this beautiful and delicious animal you've bumped into that you can't quit taking its picture or doing the paleo version of that. Uh, with the horses, the bison was the most uh, painted. Along with horses, bison was the most painted, he says. And not only painted, but engraved on portable art, pebbles and bones and ivory that you carved on and carried with you. Bison was, uh, with, with probably with the horses, was the, the, the couple, the magic, <laughs> we can say the magic couple of these people, you know. Bison and horses were the magic couple, he says. So it's very close with what we, what we found in the, in the Christmas time in the, 
uh, it's more Jesus. Jesus is with a horse and a, and a, and, a, and a cow. <laughs> it's very funny. I used to, to say that to to my uh, people when I, I make a conference and so on, and they are always surprised, you know. But this this uh, duality, this couple, is come from very a very long time, and there is very very uh, deep root, you know, in uh, in Europe. The horse and the bison, a sacred pair like the donkey and the cow. But of course, you as a paleo-human, you are eating the magic couple. I mean, everyone's a hunter-gatherer, right? So they're gathering plant foods and and hunting uh, small and large game. That's John Hoffaker again. And he points out that you need every calorie you can find just to fend off the cold as you spread out over Europe and Asia. You're not in Africa anymore. We have dated human remains showing up in places like Western Siberia, all the way up at latitude 57 degrees north, which is in the subarctic part of Western Siberia. It's a pretty cold place. And those date at least as early as 45,000. We think of Siberia as being cold now. It was even colder then. No other humans have been as far north as you, ever. So how do you survive in that biting wind and that frigid air? We know particularly the northern People living in northern Eurasia were operating a, what I would call a high-tech hunter-gatherer economy. You innovate. They were able to design uh, insulated clothing, for instance, so they could deal with winter temperatures of, you know, minus 20 below centigrade, that kind of thing. The brutal Siberian conditions spark a tech boom. It involved a lot of complicated technology like traps and snares, fish weirs, uh, all the fancy equipment. You get better and better at hunting these animals. You study their behaviors. You teach your kids all about them. The survival of your community depends, at least in part, on your bison expertise. So you attune yourself to their rhythms. You go where they go. And season by season, year by year, you make your way through Siberia. You go further and further east, walking and hunting, hunting and walking, until eventually you hit the ice. They would have seen something like what you see if you go to Greenland today, right? You see this enormous, this massive wall of ice. For 30,000 years, you've been wandering through Eurasia. You've crossed mountains, forded rivers. Some of your relatives even figured out how to get themselves to Australia, for goodness sake. And in all that time, nothing has stopped you. Until now. I, I mean, we're talking about something that's several miles thick, ultimately, in the center. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's a complete and total barrier to terrestrial, you know, animal life. After this incredible journey out of Africa, you finally hit a wall. A literal wall of ice. We can't say for absolute sure that the people saw those ice sheets. I mean, I don't see any reason why they, they wouldn't have. And no one's crossing that ice sheet. Not the squirrels, not the bison, and not you. Nothing much to eat up there. So you stop. And where are you exactly? Well, you've arrived somewhere very special. You're not in Asia, and you're not yet in North America either. You're in a land that no longer exists today. We're going to leave you here in this strange place for a minute, so take a load off. Pull that bison hide around your shoulders and rest up. You're going to need your strength, because your world is about to get a whole lot colder.
Welcome back to Threshold. I'm Amy Martin, and you are an adventurous human living in a place that is now underwater. The time is about 30,000 years ago, and the place is called Beringia. So when, when sea level fell by 50 meters, there was a land connection between Alaska and, and Northeast Asia. Once again, that's paleoanthropologist John Hoffaker. And you've probably heard that land connection referred to as the Bering Land Bridge. But John says a lot of scientists now think that the word bridge kind of calls up the wrong image. Beringia was a big chunk of land, like a mini continent. Walking the full length north to south would be like walking from Chicago to New Orleans. The Bering Platform is quite broad. It stretches about 1,500 kilometers from north to south. Uh, and it's, it's like a giant piece of the continental shelf. Uh, when sea level falls several hundred feet below uh, its current level, uh, you get this, this enormous plain exposed. That plane was big enough to support a lot of bison and other animals. So John says you probably lived in Beringia for a while, like 15,000 years. You and the mammoths and the horses, the American scimitar cats, the woolly rhinoceros, the cave lions, and your old pals, the bison, which you'd been depending on throughout this epic journey. As it turns out, you need them now more than ever. A major cold snap is on the way. The death throes of the Ice Age, which scientists have named the last glacial maximum. It was an extremely cold period that took place beginning about uh, 28, 30,000 years ago up to about 16,000 years ago. During this period, temperatures worldwide fell significantly by several degrees centigrade. And there was an expansion of existing ice sheets uh, in North America, uh, over northwestern Europe. This is a really intense time to be a human. All over the world, people are struggling to adapt to this sudden drop in temperatures. It was an incredibly sharp fall. It's kind of a global freakout. That's right. We have uh, the ice sheets are rapidly expanding. Temperatures are falling dramatically, and sea level just plummets. We know that people are abandoning areas uh, in Siberia. They're abandoning probably areas, uh, many areas in Europe. They are abandoning places like North Africa, the Arabian Peninsula. But for you, in Beringia, things aren't so bad. Some warmish, moist air is blowing your way off the North Pacific. We have a relatively rich environment, biologically, in terms of plant and animal life, in this newly created southern portion of the land bridge. I mean, if you're looking for a place to, to, to stay, during the last glacial maximum, turns out that South Central Beringia was probably a pretty attractive place. This is counterintuitive. John says no one in his field really thought that hanging out somewhere between Siberia and Alaska would be a good survival strategy in a cold snap. We thought of Beringia during the last glacial maximum as being sort of the last place on Earth that you know anyone would want to live. But bit by bit, evidence is mounting that people actually did live in Beringia for quite a while, instead of just passing through it. This idea is called the Beringian Standstill Hypothesis, and John is quick to point out that it's just that, a hypothesis, and not all of his colleagues support it. Let's pan out for a minute here and look at your situation. 
you are perched on the threshold of the Americas. I know I'm being self-referential, but I can't help it. That's actually where you are, sitting at the doorway to this whole new continent where no people have ever been yet. But what's really crazy is that you don't even know that the Americas exist. You've gotten closer than anyone, but all you can see is this huge ice sheet. You have no idea how close you are to these enormous land masses on the other side that are teeming with life. From your perspective, the world ends here. Until... The world starts to warm up. Um, the climate is increasingly warm. Plant and animal life is, is rich. For thousands of years now, maybe maybe 15,000 years, me and my family have been hanging out in Brindia. The ice starts to retreat, starts to warm up. How quickly does that warm up happen? Uh, it, it happens very, it seems to happen very quickly. And the bison start to move. Remember, their ancestors had crossed into the Americas long before, hundreds of thousands of years before you even left Africa. And in fact, Beringia was a passageway that bison used in both directions. As the ice grew and shrank over the millennia, they moved back and forth from Siberia to Alaska. So as the world warms, they continue this pattern and migrate east and you migrate too. These animals are your partners, your lifeline, and now you walk with them into a whole new world. People are walking into what's basically a paradise, right? There's nobody else there, there's no humans there, never have been, and the game is plentiful. You have entered North America, And guess who's waiting for you? Yep, more bison. You find great herds of them, like manna from heaven. So it's not surprising that we have really an explosion, a population explosion here uh, that, you know, rapidly fills in both continents. You first encountered them as you left Africa. You hunted and painted them for tens of thousands of years as you explored Europe and Asia. You wrapped yourself in their hides in the brutal cold of the last glacial maximum. And now, as you walk into the Americas, there they are, great herds of them, filling this new land you're discovering. After all this time of depending on bison, co-evolving with them, really, their presence must have felt almost inevitable. Like, wherever there's grass, there's bison. Because that had been the human experience for more than 60,000 years. (laughs) 